Welcome once more to the Race MotoGP podcast. It's been quite a while since those red lights went out in Valencia in the middle of November last year. But we're now looking forward to MotoGP for 2020. We're getting closer and closer to those 13 Grand Prix that will make up the MotoGP season this year. It's going to be a very busy schedule, 13 races in 18 weekends, the first of which a five in the first six weekends. Toby Moody manning the mic here with Neil Spaulding, MotoGP technical guru and a man who's written three books all about MotoGP bikes. Go to MotoGPTechnology.com to catch up with his books. Neil, good afternoon. I hope you're well. I am, sir. I am. Good to see you as well. Um, different world, eh? It is a different world. It is a different world, but we are getting used to it. But nothing changes in this respect in that we're getting those goosebumps as we look forward to that first race that'll happen at the end of July in Jerez. Also joining us is our MotoGP reporter for the race, Simon Patterson. Simon was in Qatar, ready to go for 2020. He saw the Moto3 and Moto2 races. He saw Albert Arenas win the Moto3 race from John McPhee. And he also saw Tetsuta Nagashima win the Moto2 race ahead of Baldassari as they headed a Calix 12345. Simon, good afternoon. Hello. Uh, glad to be back with you guys. And I have to say... For the first time in a long, long time, I'm starting to get goosebumps as well again. It actually feels like we're ready to go racing again. It's a quite nice feeling after a long time of not only not knowing when we were going racing, but not knowing what shape the entire season was going to take. I'm sure there's somebody with a bigger book than all three of us who can tell us if this is the longest period of time that has not been a Grand Prix motorcycle race since the championship began. There's a thought. There's a thought that's just come into my mind. But we will get around to that, and I'm sure we can tell people on the uh, in the Twitter sphere. Uh, Simon's had his ear to the ground in this lockdown period with all of the MotoGP rider movements. Uh, Mark Marquez, we knew before the season started that he was going to stay with Honda right until the end of 2024. But of course, we were talking before Qatar about Mark Marquez's shoulder and would it be better or not in time for the season. Simon, well, we've pretty well forgotten about that now, haven't we? Yeah, it's uh, it feels like a very long time ago that the main concern was Mark Marquez's fitness after the surgery over the winter, after carrying that niggling injury all the way forward into the start of pre-season test. And we know that he heals up pretty quickly. We know that he's had an unimaginable length of time to recover from it. Now, no one expected this. In fact, we've actually seen a few other people sneak into hospital for a few quick surgeries to remove this or tidy up that in the meantime, simply because there's been so much free time. So, no, there's no question now that Mark's coming back fitter than ever, possibly fitter than ever uh, for his whole MotoGP career because he's had a chance to rest, to recuperate, to heal up all of those injuries, all of those niggles, all of those little details that could have done with a bit of extra physio or a little bit more attention from the doctor that all of the grid have never really had time to because of how just how intense the MotoGP schedule normally is. We do have to reiterate the fact that Mark Marquez has a hit rate of seven out of eight for, for his championships. He won his MotoGP title first time out in his first season. 
there were 475 points available on the table last year and he took 420 of them. He is just still the man who is incredible and arguably Simon and Neil it's 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 his championship to lose is it pretty pretty much I mean Honda has still got to get their bike right as we left them uh, at the end of testing there were still some fairly major question marks over the chassis and the way it would work with the new Michelin tires and I think Honda will have managed to do a few things. They had enough information that during this long shutdown, a new chassis or two can probably be screwed together. And I suspect they will turn up at the first race with a few options that they didn't have at the end of testing. Alongside him in the garage is his brother, but already, Simon, before the 2020 season has even started, Alex Marquez's seat for 21 is... Probably going to for, go, probably going to somebody else. Just bring us up to speed with a quick resume of a couple of other podcasts that we've done. It's a bit bizarre, isn't it? Even though we've stopped racing for what five months, the silly season hasn't stopped at all, and rider movement, rider contracts, everything's kept churning away. For twenty twenty one, Alex Marquez is out of the Repsol Honda camp with Paul Espigaro joining him, uh, joining his brother Mark. For two years, uh, leaving KTM after being the sort of the spearhead of that project, looking for a new challenge, looking for an opportunity to come in and actually fight for a title instead of developing a bike. And unfortunately, that's come at the expense of Alex. Uh, it's worth noting that Alex was never Honda's first choice for the bike. He was brought in as a very, very, very late 11th hour replacement for Jorge Lorenzo when he surprised everyone by retiring in November of last year and Alex was the best rider available at the time to Honda that wasn't contracted or could be gotten out of a contract so what they've done is really rather unsurprisingly is as soon as someone better has come along they've moved to secure them and you can't blame them you can't blame them now Polis Bargaro he's ridden Yamaha Tech 3 but since 2017 nearly he's been on a V4 inside the uh, the KTM and he's moving over to a V4 Honda what what do you think Espargaro might find the first time that I'm sure he might ride a Honda <laughs> well <clears throat> yeah I actually think he's going to be a little bit disappointed because I'm fairly sure that KTM's there or thereabouts now I mean it has a few aspects of its design that aren't going to change which is a steel chassis that will feel different but they've been making it so flexible. I'm actually fairly sure that the version of the KTM that's going to turn up this year just needs a, what we used to call, uh, alien sitting on it to deliver. And they haven't got one. And Paul isn't one, in my mind. I think Paul's a, a very, very good rider, but I don't think he's in the same category as Mark. Mm. He's a Moto2 world champion and he's won uh, one, two, five races and, and Moto2 Grand Prix and he's won the eight hour. But as I mentioned with Simon a, a couple of podcasts ago, there's a point at which you just want that last trophy to finish off the sideboard and it says MotoGP on it. You know, that's a big, big pull, uh, a big, big pull. So it'll be interesting to see what shakes out. Yeah, I mean, I think Paul could win a race and he hasn't done that. And that, I suspect, is where he's headed for you just need Marquez to have a bad day and it to be a Honda track and he's certainly going to be up there um 
but I, I think in terms of machine, he's about to be surprised. Simon, what's the latest on Cal Crutchlow? Cal Crutchlow uh, is on his way out of LCR Honda. There's going to be a space made there for Alex Marquez. Honda obviously keen to keep the golden child's little brother within the camp somewhere. It sounds a little bit from reading between the lines like team boss Lucio Ciaccanello isn't delighted about being told who's going to be riding his bikes. But unfortunately, when Honda's paying your rider salaries, that's how it has to work. A few people have speculated that it could be the end of Crutchlow in MotoGP, but from what I'm hearing and from what I'm understanding, I think there's a seat waiting for him at Aprilia, depending obviously what happens with Andrea Iannone's uh, doping appeal, which we're thinking is coming early next month. We'll get to that in a minute. I am, of course, getting ahead of myself because we're talking about Crutchlow in 2021. We haven't even started 2020, (laughs) believe it or not, even though, of course, we are now in the second half of the 2020 calendar year, that is. Um, Much difference between the bikes, Neil, between the works, Repsol, Hondas and Crutchlow's LCR. What's your take when you were trackside? Well, this is the thing. Cal's basically Honda's top tester. Mark can ride anything. Mark does ride anything. So it's a little bit like having Stoner in your team. You know, he wasn't actually an awful lot of good at fixing the motorcycle. He, he knew generally what it needed to do. But what he could do with it was based on his skills. And it wasn't a lot of good for the rest of the riders. So it's actually quite possible with a rider as good as Mark and as good as Stoner was to go in the wrong direction and get away with it. So Cal has been keeping their feet on the ground especially so since Danny left. Right now, if they want to test stuff, it goes to Cal before it goes to Mark. And if and if Alex Marquez is in Cal's boots, that's no he use. Hasn't been, he's not experienced enough. That's uh, the Honda kind of side of things. Uh, let's move on to Yamaha, Valentino Rossi. Uh, I would say spearheading but actually in people's minds, he's spearheading the Yamaha charge. Uh, Vinales has signed till the end of 2022 for the works Yamaha squad. Uh, Rossi was going to tell us what he was going to do by the time we, I don't know, Simon sort of got to Mugello late May, early June. But of course, that's completely been thrown out with, with, with the trash. Where is the decision-making process for Valentino into into 2021 and, and where are things at with uh, with Patronus? Just bring people up to speed. From what I understand right now, uh, the decision largely has been made by Valentino to stay, but the decision or the details on where he's staying and what exactly that involves is the bits that still has to be thrashed out. He is obviously going to end up at Patronus Yamaha. That's the only realistic opportunity in the grid for him because Yamaha have said that they'll give him full factory backing. And, you know, let's be honest, he, he's part of the Yamaha family now and will be for the rest of his career. He isn't going to walk away from that for a one-year deal or a two-year deal with another satellite bike. Um, so he will stay with Yamaha. Patronus have made some noises about, you know, they want to be the team that develops young riders for Yamaha. They don't want a 41-year-old guy coming into the team Um when they've done such a good job this year developing uh, Fabio Quartararo into the next factory rider. But realistically, it's it's very, very difficult to say no to Valentino Rossi, as we all know. So I think what we'll see whenever everything's done is that he'll him and him and Quartararo will essentially swap roles for next year. They'll swap seats. 
which makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. But going into 2020, the advantage of this layoff for Valentino is he's had a bit of time to recharge. As I regularly have said, you know, his first Grand Prix was late March 1996, and he's done nearly every one since. Um, the, 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 the mental recharge that he's been able to do during this period will be very, very welcome because it's not just the racing. It's the travel, it's the aircraft, it's the hanging around and whatever. But he's had a bit of an unexpected holiday. So, you know, that, that, the power of the mind is much stronger than the power of the body. So it'll be very interesting to see how he goes alongside Vinales, who, who, who snuck some wins last year. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we saw Valentino starting this season the strongest we've seen him in years. You know, um, exactly. He he is forty years old, forty one years old. He will never admit it, but he probably does need a little bit more of a break and a little bit more of a recharge than people like Quadraro who are twenty years old, mentally and physically. He's had the chance to do that. He's been able to ease back into the swing of things. We've seen him back, not only training but racing at the ranch with the VR forty six kids. You know, he's everything's built up nicely for him, and he's on a much improved Yamaha. By all accounts, Neil will, of course, be able to give us more info on that. But, uh, yeah, when you look at the calendar, for me, this is one of his opportunities. Maybe his greatest opportunity of the last five years to do something really, really impressive. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, the Yamaha is coming out this year. They've just thrown the money. I mean, if <clears throat> if they'd been a year later, they probably wouldn't be bothering. But they have spent a lot of money developing essentially a, a much revised version of their engine, a much revised version of their chassis. I mean, the basic concepts are the same, but they have definitely decided to come out fighting and take the battle to Honda and to Marquez. And to any team that hasn't got Marquez, that means they've got to build a bike that's better than the Honda, so a rider who is not better than Marquez can beat him. Mm. Very interesting, very interesting. And uh, th th there's a valid little couple of words that Neil said there is, you know, they financially found some extra money, which if they might have had to have found that in November 2020, it wouldn't be there because of C19. So the, <laughs> the bean counters at Yamaha... <laughs> got caught you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and and now they would like to get some money back for their investment um now what yamaha have also done i'm straying onto onto the wrong territory here but but they've got a complete rider sort out i mean yes it matters a little bit where valentino ends up but basically they don't have to sign anybody new they've got four excellent riders two of them who could easily not easily but two of them that could be in for a good shout at a world championship all it needs is Honda to blink. And, it, and the sort of blink I have in mind is if they let Cal go without a tester. Because Honda then are in a lot of trouble. That's next year, 21. But I know what you're coming from. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, valid point, valid point. Um, Quattararo, uh, seven podiums last year with the Patronus bike. It's full factory bike this year, 2020, even though it's in the different colours to the black and blue monster energy uh, Yamahas of, of Vinales and Rossi. You know Quattararo uh, better than, than us two, Simon. 
he's got to win a race. He's got to win a race. He's got to. <laughs> I I think, um, call me an optimist, but I think by the time we come to record our next podcast, Fabio Cotteraro will be a race winner. He's going to win the first race then? First or second. First or second. We've got two races at Arath coming up. And I'd be very, very surprised if he isn't on the podium in both of them and if he doesn't sneak a win in one of them. Uh, remember back to, what was it, 15 months ago and his fourth ever MotoGP race at Jerez where he was set for second place until the bike broke and he ended up crying in the garage thinking what could have been. He's got so much more experience since then. He's a more complete package since then and he's in a better Yamaha. I'd be very, very surprised if he doesn't have a crack at it as early as Hareth. And it's not a bad circuit for a Yamaha. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a place where he can do business. Um, it's where Marquez, uh, I actually think the Yamaha will come out on those new Michelin tires a lot better than the Honda will. I think the Honda by the second race will be a different beast. But at the first race, they're still going to be playing catch up a bit. Yes, of course. So I think Fabio's in with quite a good shot, as is Maverick. Just quickly, Neil, you mentioned tyres, a few differences. What have Clermont Ferrand and Michelin brought to the paddock that's different from 2019? Basically, uh, for the last year, they've been testing a new rear tyre, uh, one that gives more edge grip. Now, there's been a lot of debate over the last five years that you know inline fours are out of date and V4s are the way to go. What we basically had was a tyre a compulsory tyre that suited the V4 power characteristics. It didn't give the sort of long-term full race edge grip that the previous tyre supplier Bridgestone had. And Michelin have set out to fix that. And what we actually have now is half the solution. We have the rear. End result, we've got a lot more grip on the rear wheel. And for factories like Suzuki and Yamaha with their inline fours and their long sweeping corners it's absolutely superb it gives them the grip it gives them the grip to the end of the race um, there is a bit of an issue it gives so much grip that they will suffer a bit at the front yeah they're literally the rear wheel will push the front and you could find it tucking it's, it's what happened when Michelin first came in with their tires the v4s however where you basically hit the throttle a bit harder coming out of corners because you're not quite as quick in the long in, in the in the middle of the corner have got a bigger problem what they've been discovering is that the tire develops too much grip and overpowers the front completely they cannot turn so what you have to do is find a way at lean so this is you know upright it's a suspension modification you you want the bike to pitch backwards and forwards and you change the springs and the center of gravity height and stuff to get it so it flattens the tires enough for the best grip that's not necessarily maximum grip it's the grip where you have the best balance front and rear and everything else to get the bike to work well but at full lean a tire is just imagine it, it essentially is just a glorified balloon it just happens to be stretched around a rim. And at full lean, if you're pushing down on the side, you can flatten it. If you have a, a chassis that's too rigid, it flattens the tire too much. And this new tire is definitely softer than the other one, the old one. And it is clearly flattening out too much and causing the V4s who are trying to accelerate when leaned over an awful lot of trouble. That is why 
we watched a Honda at Sepang where overnight they were cutting away chunks of aluminium from the chassis. They were deliberately weakening it as each day went on, trying to flex the back of the bike more so that it crushed it, so it crushed the tyre just enough to get the best grip, but not so much that it stopped it turning. Ducati have got a similar idea. At the bottom end of their chassis, right next to the rider's ankle, there's a plate you can bolt on. And at the Valencia test, that plate was there most of the time or with half the bolts most of the time by the time we got to Sepang they'd just taken the plate off they were running it as weak as they could so it wouldn't surprise me if they also turn up with a weaker chassis and they're desperately trying to tune the flex in the back end of the chassis so they get just enough squeeze on the tyre so that they get the best possible grip before they upset the front tyre too much <laughs> and that's good isn't he Simon he's good <laughs> he's very good it's nice having someone on the podcast that we can all learn a little bit from you and i well done yeah 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 yeah. i i can understand it but neil just says it perfectly (laughs) well done sir well done um what what have the teams neil been able to do during this lockdown period you know they, they went to qatar they were all ready and now it's july okay chassis chassis and electronics um you can weld a chassis, you can do all that sort of things by yourself, basically. So I would suggest that um, in, in areas where they could get a man, a welding machine and some aluminium in one place, that quite possibly a couple of sample chassis have been run up just to see what happens. So it's the sort of thing that could be done. Not totally sure of the legalities in a full lockdown, but different countries treated things differently. In the UK, you could have done it easily. Um, and legally. Um, electronics engineers will have been working like crazy because you can sit at home, you can try an unlimited number of ideas, you know, the way the throttle opens, uh, different lean ang- angles of lean, all sorts of things, and they'll be turning up armed with a whole bunch of plug-in solutions depending on what the rider says. Because normally they would see a salute see a, 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 a two hours on track on on friday and have friday night to do it saturday saturday night yeah. to do it they've had eight months exactly <laughs> but what do you do you don't turn up with nothing and just do it like normal you build little pods of uh pre- scenarios scenarios yes strategies so that if the rider says this we do this if the rider says this we do that if the rider says this when we've got this spring in it and this ride height on the bike we do that one over there you know, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll have them coming out their ears. And I think what is going to be interesting, and we can, we'll can be able to see who's done this best, is going to be the change in bike performance between the first session at Jerez and, let's say, the end of, of the Czech Republic race, the Brno race. I think there's going to be a lot of change in that period. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, the, the engine strategists are just... Uh, they have a brain bigger than a planet. And you you sit with them and they go through, as Neil said, you know, the lean angle and there's certain lean angles where if you give it that much power, it doesn't work. It will throw you off or it kicks a TC in and then that that that's just wasting time. But then, OK, I need to give him less power at that angle and then I'll give him that much power when it's a bit higher up and that much power when it's just really coming onto the straight. Uh, oh, oh, hang on a minute. I'm doing five kilometres an hour more. So that means that I'll do that. 
and there's you know 60 70 parameters that they have to play around with at any one given time off a laptop in the back of the garage i just I, i'm in absolute awe of them awe of them yeah and the point is we go back to that tire you know yes they've been developing it they've all done four or five laps at a test several times last year but all they've really done is the sepang and and, and Qatar tests so they've got a damn sight more questions than they have answers right now but they'll have potential answers lined up like you wouldn't believe and there's one thing that uh, they always say to me is uh, Toby it's not the power it's the talk (laughs) (laughs) yes yes and it's talk by wire yes correct it is talk by wire correct um the, the 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 big teams who have won Grand Prix and been successful, uh, they have five engines to do a season with, and the concession teams who haven't got many podiums and, and race wins, KTM and Aprilia, they have seven engines to complete a season, but we've got less races this year. We've got thirteen Grand Prix. Where were things left at with homologating the engines for the? for the big teams well basically you'd wait until the first race at qatar and whatever specification is in the bike when it rolls out on friday morning or thursday night depending on what they're doing in qatar is what they are stuck with for the whole year for the teams that do not have concessions i.e the successful teams who regularly win stuff um for the teams who haven't i'm coming back a bit but we we didn't have a a session we did we, we didn't know and and what happened was very shortly after the shutdown came up somebody sat there and thought blimey they'll be all way spending money and dragging people in in uh, times when they shouldn't so they basically froze the design as at the end of testing and said to people you can't change it anymore um i hope that means people like honda who regarded as a trade secret as to how fast they can get a crankshaft built um, you know, they, they wouldn't tell me in Sepang how long. And, and building a crankshaft is not easy because you, you, at various stages of the process, you have to leave it to one side for four weeks to sort of unwind from the rather grievous treatment the lump of metals received by machining it. So it's not an easy process. You're looking at six weeks, two months normally. But Honda, leave it to the last minute, and depending on how they've finished those two tests, they'll press go. I suspect they press go with a day left of the Sepang test, judging by the way they're acting. So I think they will have had their proper crankshafts. Um, Aprilia, though, were in a lot of trouble with this. What happened was that when they decided they were going to freeze the uh, non-concession manufacturers as at the end of testing, they also decided that the teams who are normally able to develop during the year would also have their designs frozen. And Aprilia's halfway through an engine change. They've built a new motor. It's got a 90 degree instead of 72 degree. It was working absolutely superbly. Alicia Spargo's over the moon with it, but it still had the cylinder heads from the 2019 engine on it. And they had new cylinder heads that were gonna make more power, be more reliable and weigh less lined up for just before Mugello and they protested at this rule change and as a result both Aprilia and KTM who are the only two teams who get these concessions now had until the end of June to present their designs and have the design frozen. And Simon KTM went testing at Spielberg a couple of weeks ago because that's in their concessions. Yes yes it is Uh, they've been on track 
with Paul Espagaro and Danny Pedroza, not with Brad Binder, who got caught up uh, trying to get back from South Africa in quarantine, wasn't able to actually attend. But then they subsequently went to Mizano. They were joined by... Binder was on track there. They were joined by Alicia Espagaro from Aprilia and uh, Bradley Smith and Ducati test rider uh, Michele Pirro as well. So they've got a bit of track time again. They've got a chance to see how things are shaken out with what work they have been able to do over the winter uh, and over the break. And it sounds it sounds like KTM are pleased, reading between the lines, but it sounds like Aprilia are beside themselves with joy, to put it mildly. Um, there's a, if you have a look on the race, there's an interview I did last week with Alicia Spigaro, who told me that he was 75% ready to walk, ready to find another bike, to have a, a few last cracks of the whip before he retired from MotoGP. Then he rode the 2020 Aprilia and he basically signed on the dotted line that day. That's how good the improvement is. That's good. It, it, that is good. I mean, I believe the KTM test team with probably with Mr. Pedrosa is currently in the Czech Republic at Brno. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out in the next few days. Very difficult for the Hondas, the Yamahas and the Suzukis and the Ducatis to see those teams going testing whilst they are hamstrung at home, isn't it, Neil? It is, but don't underestimate yeah. how much those teams know. Swings and roundabouts, isn't it? How much, Very much. Yes. I mean, we're allowing, we're, we're allowing these guys all this time to catch up. Otherwise, how could you possibly expect somebody in a motorcycle company to turn up to race if you're not allowed to catch up with the good guys. You just permanently be at the back of the grid. I actually think this is one of the demon things with the MotoGP rulebook. It's a very, very good balancing exercise. Absolutely. And I think what we have at the minute is the ultimate opportunity for Aprilia and KTM to close that gap with uh, this year's bikes largely carrying forward in spec to next year, but them still being allowed to develop. They see a golden opportunity, and I think they're doing everything they can to take the most out of it. The person who needs to play catch-up is Andrea Davizioso. He finished second in the MotoGP World Championship in 2017, 2018, 2019, only beaten by Marc Marquez on the Honda. And yet, at the end of June, he falls off a motocross bike, breaks his collarbone three weeks before the start of this 2020 MotoGP season. He's got a lot of work to do. But it's more than physical for Davizioso because Petrucci next year will be in orange at KTM. They have uh, uh, confirmed that Jack Miller is coming in for 2021. And already, guys, you get the vibe that they've already put their arm around Jack Miller, even though there's a year, a season between now and, and him actually riding a full red Ducati. So Davizioso feels as if They've cheated on him and they're all falling out of love. And is it going to be an Italian casino? It sounds like both parties have backed themselves into an absolute mess of a corner. Uh, Ducati want to cut costs. They're looking at the potential for a global recession. And let's be honest, they're looking at a rider who they've bet on big and who hasn't quite done it for them yet. He hasn't won a title despite three years of trying. Or despite more than three years of time, but you know, despite three years of running up. And Dovey has said, you know, he's drawn a line in the sand and said, I'm not going to ride your motorbike for less money than this. Which is how we've got to the weird position where Gigi Delinia from Ducati is using words like stalemate to describe contract negotiations. And Dovey's manager is saying things like, maybe we should take a sabbatical year. 
It's a bizarre circumstance. But they've still got a year to go. That's my point. We 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 still fall into this 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 discussion of 2021. Oh, it's going to be a mess. But it, well, yeah, it's going to be a mess. But there are some things that could make it more exciting. <laughs> Dovi did not develop the current motorcycle. Lorenzo did. Yeah. All of the all of the changes on Dovi's bike, and obviously not the ones in the last year, but until the start of last year. They were settings that Jorge was fighting for. I stress fighting for. There were a lot of very upset-looking people in the garage when he was insisting on some of the changes. <laughs> and Dovi would follow one or two races later with a similar setup. And his riding came on as the bike that Jorge built worked for him as well. Now, Jorge and Ducati, as we've discussed several times before, made a complete horlicks of Jorge's renewal. He went off to Honda. It all went wrong. Then Jorge got into bed with Yamaha, fell back in love with MotoGP large, and now he's fallen foul of a change of the rules that stops wildcard riders racing. But he clearly doesn't want to be finished yet. Now, I like Andrea De Vizioso. I think he's an absolutely superb guy. But I don't think he's going to win that championship for Ducati. And if he's not going to win it, and we're going to have this sort of row. <laughs> and if we're having the sort of situation where Andrea hasn't actually spoken to Dalinia in the garage for years, they've got other people who talk to the two of them so that they can communicate. To be honest, if I was Ducati, I'd hire Lorenzo back. And now. Now. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. And you put him yeah. on the bike, one-year contract. You've got him alongside Miller. You've got him developing the bike again. And you've got a quality team, and you're out of this situation where you've got a very, very good rider, but one who's not going to win the championship for you. You never know with Jorge. He just might. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Whereas I'm fairly convinced with Andrea, he ain't. No, I, I think I think that's a given. I think that's a given. And you're right. I think Andrea is, is a lovely bloke and race wins and championships. And uh, But he's had eight years on that Ducati. And there's only one rider who's ever won a Ducati MotoGP World Championship. And it was 13 years ago. And his name was Casey Stoner. Um, Lorenzo has got a massive, massive point to prove even more so than than Alonso returning to Formula One because Lorenzo could potentially come back into the team that I've just said has finished second to Marc Marquez over the last three years. The other thing about Lorenzo, um, he'd do it for, 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 you know, Half a million euro, half a million euros, and a, yeah. and a free Lavazza every morning, <laughs> wouldn't he? Because he's got a point to prove. He he would do it's, it just to stick up the two fingers. So Ducati are owned essentially in a corporate structure by Lamborghini and a, and an Audi. Um, just send us a few of those nice Lambos, chaps. You know he's got a bit of an addiction <laughs> for supercars. He'd be there. He picked one up last week. Yes, he did. Um, it's probably the only time in history you'll ever sign Jorge Lorenzo for less money than Andrea Davizioso. Yes, 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 because as you know, I touched on it a little bit in a previous podcast. You know, Simon and I about Polis Bargro. Is there's a point at which you've got the money, but you haven't got something in your head. You haven't got that satisfaction, uh, like Polis Bargro to win a MotoGP race potentially with with Honda. And Lorenzo w- wants to sign off his career at the top step of a podium, not that it was last year. The other interesting thing that we will never know is what's 
in Lorenzo's Yamaha testing contract. And the fact that the FIM have prevented him from doing a Grand Prix this year, that's taken the entire purpose of signing that contract away from both parties. So Lorenzo's got a new manager. Can he wriggle out of it? Or does he pull on the heartstrings and go, oh, can you let me go, Gov, Mr. Lynn Jarvis? It is. And if, if Lynn has got him on a contract, the correct answer actually is no, because if he gets back on the red thing, he's going to be a problem. And, and so d- therefore, it needs to be a Carmelo to step in a la Bernie and make it happen. And the one other thing that we mustn't forget here is Mr. Zarco, who also rides a bike in the same way as Lorenzo, is sitting on a red bike. So to have the pair of them you are starting to look at a a, a strategy that could deliver wins. So essentially that Lorenzo bike Ducati that he left was a a red Yamaha. (laughs) Yes, basically. A red Yamaha with attitude. But yes. And and, and Zarco's still got to get his head around the attitude bit. Um, But but Zarco, we covered this once before, Zarco... All of his MotoGP riding until he went to KTM was on an ex-Lorenzo Yamaha that he rode to the same sort of specifications as Lorenzo. He can ride what Jorge could ride. So hire Jorge and you've got two people at least who can ride the thing and it'll probably turn out Miller can too. And if there's one thing that we've seen Ducati lacking in MotoGP in recent years, it's a strategy. It's yes. always seen a bit fire at the wall and see what happens, you know. Chopping and changing of riders, trying to hire talent from other teams. There's never been a, a cohesive Ducati strategy that runs across two or three teams when they have the ability to do that with the Pramac lineup. And now with an Aventia lineup that's actually, you know, had a bit of money injected into it and turned into not a bad team either. I'll tell you that I'll tell you this, Simon. Can the boys at the race.com make the headline big enough if Lorenzo comes back in 2020 on a red bike? Oh. I don't think it'll fit on my screen. And I think it would be justified in having it that size as well. What a story it would be. And, and, and let's not mess around here. Right now, this is the sort of thing the sport really needs. Of course it is. It would be awesome. You know, I mean, all the shenanigans with Honda and everything, okay, but when you cut it away, you, you can see a basic strategy. With Yamaha, they've sealed everything. It's all a bit boring. Flick this one into the pile and things get really interesting. And the other thing is, if we see a situation where Davizioso knows he's you know, essentially being retired by Ducati because they've sent someone to replace him, Petruccio's already gone. You know, It goes back to what we said at the start about this season being an epic opportunity for Yamaha because I can't see that Ducati structure remaining you know, cohesive and able to challenge challenge for second place or for the title again whenever, you know, the whole thing's being ripped apart to start fresh next year. True, but don't underestimate how good that bike was. The only thing they were missing was the last vestiges of rider. You know, the thing's absolutely there. Um, what we've ended up in is a technical argument where Dovi wants the thing to turn in corners and somebody with a computer somewhere is working out that the wings that probably force it wide in the corners actually make it go faster because it can come out of corners faster. Yes. And somewhere in the middle there, that message is not being received very well. You, you can't have everything. Um, and, yeah, we've ended up in this crazy situation, but as I said, if if... 
if I was in the business of taking risks, and I'm not normally in that position, I would be seriously considering plonking Jorge back on that bike. Okay, here's a scenario. Do you pay Petrucci to go home? Now. <laughs> you yeah. certainly could. That's the way of getting him in. You certainly could. Yeah. Because that's the that's the <laughs> least expensive. It's the and and at least you're in charge of him. You say, really sorry, is double the yeah. money, go home. It did. Well, probably th- I would imagine if they've got a proper contract, they don't need to do the double bit. You know where I'm coming from. But, 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 <laughs> yes. but yeah. that, that's a scenario that we hadn't thought of. So, yeah. Well, it happened in Ferrari, didn't it? Uh, a few years ago, somebody, somebody criticised the car a little bit too much and um, got parked. Yes, they did. Yeah, they got rid of Alain Prost and, uh, and likewise... Yeah, that was that was a mess at the end of the nineteen ninety one season. Um, but hmm. uh, uh, yeah, and don't forget that Ducati did pay Crutchlow yeah. to go home. Yes, they did yep. to make room for Lorenzo. Yes, <laughs> you couldn't make it up, could you? You couldn't make it up. You couldn't make it up. And I think Ferrari paid Kimi to go home to make room for Fernando Alonso. So, yeah, it's uh, how much money do you want to spend? Yeah, we can go on. Fascinating discussion. <laughs> Love it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Moving on to Suzuki. Uh, Rins had a couple of wins last year, only six points back of Vinales. By the time the season came to an end, he won at Texas. He won at Silverstone. What a win. What a race. Big, fast circuit suit, the Suzuki, but of course there's no Silverstone and Simon, as of uh, five minutes before we started this podcast, no Kota, no surprise. Unfortunately for Suzuki, for Suzuki, there's really no big, fast circuits at all this year. They've lost Assen, they've lost Phillip Island, they've lost Silverstone, they've lost Kota, they've lost the places that they saw in the calendar as opportunities to win races. And without them and with the circuits that we're going to go to instead, especially some of the circuits we're going to go to twice, I think they're going to have a really difficult season. Not, not, they're not going to be an embarrassment. They're not going to be, they're not going to go a season without a podium, for example. But they're, I'd be very surprised if they find themselves winning races again this year, which is a disappointment because the Suzuki project is young, it's exciting, it's at a really good place. But uh, maybe just a, a year's pause for them, thanks to COVID and bizarre situations. Coming round to that calendar, we've got the first two Grand Prix at Hareth. Then we go to Brno, another couple of Grand Prix at the Red Bull Ring, Spielberg. Two Grand Prix at Misano, a single Grand Prix then at Barcelona, single race at Le Mans, the Bugatti circuit, a double header at Aragon and a double header at Valencia. They're not quick circuits, as you say. Neil, with one week between races, similar to what Formula One are doing, what do you think might happen between, you know, Hareth 1 and Hareth 2? Spielberg 1, Spielberg 2. Difficult question, I know, but what's your initial thoughts? Well, certainly at Hareth, everybody's going to be getting their chassis to work with the tyres. And as I said earlier, you know, one thing you could do, certainly in this country, I suspect in several others uh, during the shutdown, is basically build a few chassis. So I suspect that there'll be quite a lot of uh, chassis experimentation going on in those early days. You know, by the time you get to the Red Bull ring, I think... Race four, race five. Yes, five. You're there or thereabouts with what you're going to get easily in a 
in a timetable this condensed. Um, but with two races at one circuit, you set a bike up on the first weekend. The next weekend's not going to be radically different in terms of setup. So you, you've got essentially a, at least one extra day or two extra days in there that you could put down to testing. You know, you're starting the next weekend with something that's already gone rather well the week before or not, as the case may be. So it's going to be interesting to see. The first two races are the ones I'm really looking forward to. What do we get? What, do you, what have you got on Friday morning? And what have you got on Saturday afternoon a week later? It could be radically different, and there could be an awful lot of new parts being fired into motorcycles. I'm not a betting man, but I bet you that the odds will be very short at the second race at a circuit. Because we've yes. just seen the result the week before. Yeah. Question. Absolutely. I mean, this 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 sequence hasn't ever happened before. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing. You go to a test on a Monday, and you've got a rider who's fairly knackered. Um, and they will start off the morning just to get him back in the groove with the setup he went out on the race with. Then they'll try one or two things that they wish they'd tried, and then they'll get into what they want to test. Well, in this case, you've done the entire race. He's had three days, four days to lie down. You come back out, and we start again. Unless it rains or the massively different weather conditions, the, the Friday and the Saturday of the second race are going to be very interesting indeed. Mm. Interesting. Uh, we touched on uh, Andrea Iannone, Simon, but Bradley Smith, as good as confirmed that he'll have that ride, we can't see Iannone getting on a bike this year. No one I've spoken to hints that there's any possibility of Iannone making a, a successful appeal to the Court of Arbitration for Sport early next month and getting his doping ban lifted. If anything, a few people I've spoken to have said, yeah, world anti-doping trying to get the ban extended to four years instead of 18 months, they might have more chance than he has of getting the whole thing struck from the record. So, no, uh, long story short, there's no chance we're going to see him back in the next year. And potentially there's a chance we'll never see him back on a Grand Prix motorcycle again. Very true, very true, very true. Um, so then, guys, who's your, who's your take on the championship? Are you going to go safe or are you going to flip a coin? Who's going to go first? I'll go first with a wild punt and say that my... Realistically, it's still Marquez, but I'm going to put my money in a dark horse and say this year is Fabio Quattararo. I think the calendar lines up for him. I think he's maturing rapidly. And I think he'll be able to take strengths out of a short, punchy season uh, where he's full of motivation, full of fire and vinegar, and, and he'll do things that will surprise people he'll win a couple of races and you know what he might just be able to do enough to outshine uh, marquez i'm slightly different i think mark mark marquez has had a rest he's probably the fittest he's been for six years um, he's had his operations he's had six months rest the honda is there or thereabouts i expect the honda to suffer maybe in the first race possibly the first two but as a championship run, I think Mark has probably still got it. And it, then it's uh, between Fabio and Maverick as to who gets the seconds. Um, KTM might surprise, but somehow I doubt it. Uh, I think Ducati have gone from being looking good to in an awful lot of pain because 
as much as we're sitting here not being massively complimentary about Dovi, he was their best bet, and now he's hurt. Yeah, yeah. I can't reiterate it enough. He was the runner-up for the last three years only to Mark Marquez. You know, um, if you're in a race and uh, Michael Johnson is alongside you, or you know, you're in a tennis match and you're facing something, you just go, just give him the trophy now and let's go to the pub, you know? <laughs> it's less, emba- less, less embarrassing for everybody. Exactly. <laughs> just give him the trophy. But you have to remember, we were talking this kind of talk at the beginning of something like. Let's pluck out of the sky, shall we, ladies and gentlemen? 2006, Valentino Rossi will win the championship. Yamaha <laughs> completely and utterly screwed it up. They uh, did. He didn't help himself, but I still blame Yamaha for, for the loss of that championship. And Nicky Hayden won the championship. Look at Kenny Roberts Jr. winning in 2000. Nobody else wanted to win the title. And he was there mm. and he took it. it I, I always hold out hope it's going to be one of those wacky seasons where you might have eight different winners. And if it is a wacky season, the thing that will have caused it is that rear tyre. Yes. It's shaken up everything. And it, 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 and it, we, we've had this glorious era of Marquez and a V4 running rampant. And suddenly somebody's turned up with an inline four rear tyre. Let's see what happens. Well, I think this has been one of the best podcasts we've ever done. I've loved every single minute of it. When we were talking about Lorenzo, I looked at my arms and the hairs were on end. The thought of him coming back (laughs) with a 99 on a red Ducati. He is Mr. Confident. Simon and I did a podcast solely about Jorge Lorenzo earlier in the series. And when he's on form, he could climb Everest in an hour. When he's off form... He wouldn't walk to the end of the street. <laughs> but I just sense mm. he's on form mentally at the moment and he's dying, dying to get hold of a Grand Prix motorcycle. Wouldn't it be such fun to see him on a Ducati? But we might have to wait a year. Hmm. The second thought, yes, absolutely. Uh, the, the, the Ducati, all things could happen. What happens if Andrea can't ride? He will ride. He will ride. <laughs> He will. <laughs> oh, no, you're playing devil's advocate. Oh, you're right. Let's not spoil it. Let's not spoil it. If you were Lorenzo, though, you would be going to make sure that you've got your COVID test done four days before the start of the weekend, just in case, wouldn't yes, you? Yes, and you would be you would be within easy walking distance of a, of a Cadiz <laughs> sort of thing. Yes. Just lunging by the pool in the Monte Castillo, just in yes. case. <laughs> Can travel with crash helmet. he's even got the leathers (laughs) (laughs) very good yes yes Uh, they've even got the posters printed yes anyway guys uh that's absolutely fantastic uh thank you neil thank you simon uh i've loved it i hope you have as well absolute pleasure as always thank you very much gents yeah good fun Good fun. Thank you for listening, though. Do like and subscribe so that these podcasts will auto-download into your phone so that you can listen to them anywhere, in the car, cycling, on the dog walk, painting the front door, or more, more importantly, gorging on GP before the season starts again. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Simon. And thank you from me, Toby Moody. We'll speak soon. <laughs> <laughs>